Hechos 2, 1 a 4. La venida del Espíritu Santo. Cuando llegó el día de Pentecostés, estaban todos unánimes juntos. De repente vino del cielo un estruendo, como de un viento recio que soplaba, el cual llenó toda la casa donde estaban. Y se les aparecieron lenguas repartidas como de fuego, asentándose sobre cada uno de ellos. Todos fueron llenos del Espíritu, del Espíritu Santo y comenzaron a hablar en otras lenguas, según el Espíritu les daba que hablaran. Handling in today, in that fear. Up to Pinsterdag, where it's allemaal bij elkaar gekomen. Ineens kwam er uit de hemel een geluid, alsof een storm opstok. Het was in een hele huis te horen. Ze zagen iets dat op tongen van vuur leek. Vlamen die zich boven ieder van hen verspreiden. Ze werden allemaal vervuld van de heilige geest. En begonnen in vreemde talen te spreken. Woorden die de heilige geest hun ingaf. Tau fili. Gi foli na tie tolia Pentecostia hitiniso. Nasiak pele te longo yela yesu tie hinda yak pelo. Gama katisa levo meninga angalema. Tonga a can ye ye a wekesia humanila. Tande, kianguoya fe ikbaya, wani tihu pieva. Die Geschichte der Apostel, Kapitel 2, Vers 1 bis 4. Am jüdischen Pfingstfest waren wieder alle, die zum Jesu hielten, versammelt. Plötzlich hörte man ein mächtiges Rauschen, wie wann ein Sturm vom Himmel herabfällt. Das Rauschen erfüllt das ganze Haus, in dem sie waren. Dann sah man etwas wie Feuer, das sich zerteilte und auf jeden auf ihnen ließ sich ein Flammenzunge nieder. Alle wurden vom Geist Gottes erfüllt und begannen in verschiedenen Sprachen zu reden, jeder wie es ihm der Geist Gottes eingab. So they left, left the toughest one for me, English. You laugh, but if, if I mess up, you'll all know. You don't have a clue if they messed up. So I'd like to start a few verses before the verses they read. I'd like to start with you in Acts 1, 
I'd like to begin at the sixth verse. You're welcome to follow along. Then they, that is the disciples, gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then if you'd skip with me over to the first four verses of uh, Acts 2, this is what you heard in a variety of languages this morning. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like a sound blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. St. Paul's Cathedral is a very large church built on Fleet Street in the town of London. It's a very unique church. It was built in 1675. And because of some geological issues, this 385-foot-high cathedral is literally moving down the street at the rate of one inch every 100 years. Some have observed that the church ought to be moving a little bit faster than that. And at the same time, others have observed that is true, but perhaps this church is moving faster than most. The slow movement of St. Paul's Cathedral is increasingly symbolic of the church. It seems far from what Christ originally envisioned for it. It's a dim reflection of the early church. The North American church has been losing members at a rather dramatic rate for decades. And the church is becoming increasingly irrelevant in its culture so the question I think this morning for us as we celebrate and remember Pentecost Sunday is, how do we recover that power of Pentecost? The question, 
And the title of this message assumes that on that first Pentecost, there was an incredible amount of power that was worth recovering. Jesus, in that first chapter of Acts we just read, promised, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they did. The power of the first Pentecost was symbolized by a mighty sound of wind, by flames or tongues of fire, by their ability to speak in multiple languages, and the enthusiasm with which the first century disciples took up the Lord's work and were willing to even lay down their life. The proof of the Spirit's power is found in the results. Thousands were added to the church that very day. A few years ago, at the Tournament of Roses Parade on New Year's, a beautiful float suddenly sputtered out of gas. The whole parade had to be stopped so someone could run and get a gas of fuel to place into the float's engine. The float was sponsored by Standard Oil Company. (laughs) With their vast resources and their thousands of gas stations, they had run out of gas. A gas company is not supposed to run out of gas. Neither should the church run out of spiritual power. 2,000 years ago, a very small band of believers were huddled together in this upper room. Their leader had left them. They were uncertain. They were hesitant. They were afraid. They were huddled together for their safety and security. They lacked a a clear vision of what tomorrow held, and they were facing a significant challenge as well as an uncertain future. But they remembered that Jesus had told them they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and around the world. Now that Jesus had left them, all they had was that promise. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Who? When? Where was this going to happen? Anybody remember why again? What? Power. What? Power. And then the Spirit came. Then the disciples were empowered. Then the church was born. And life and the world began to change. There should never be a shortage of power in Christ's church. The church should never run out of power. The same spirit that Christ sent into the world on that first Pentecost day is still here and now ready to empower this world for transformation as well. But how do we recover that power? How do we infuse it back into the church and into our lives? There are some clues in the text. Let me suggest three for us to think about this morning. First, they were there in one accord. Luke tells us they all joined together constantly in prayer, NIV translation. The RSV says it a 
little bit different. It says, all these with one accord devoted themselves to prayer. Some have observed that the real miracle on Pentecost was not the sound of the wind. It was not the fire, flame, tongues on their individual heads. It was not all of the languages that these disciples suddenly could speak fluently. It wasn't even the thousands of conversions there on that day. The real miracle of Pentecost was that the disciples were all there together in one accord. They were a group who had been distinguished by their quarrels, by their competitive spirit who could be the best in the kingdom, and by their one-upmanship. I mean, think about this group. There was a zealot, a Roman hater. There was a tax collector, a Roman sympathizer. And there were the sons of thunder. But now, they are together in unity. They are praying together. They are supporting and encouraging one another. The scripture says they were in one accord. One of the most profound indicators of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in the lives of his people is, is the ability to live together in unity, to live together in one accord. Now, that doesn't mean we simply gloss over our differences or we avoid any disagreements. It means that we prioritize our allegiance to Jesus Christ and our commitment to love one another and our willingness to forgive one another and to walk the extra mile, our responsibility to hold one another accountable to what we have committed to do and our passion together to fulfill Christ's great commission. And those are the priorities. And everything else just pales in comparison. We should never forget that the Holy Spirit fell upon a band of Christ followers. Not a random group of people on Pentecost. Sadly, our unity is easily bruised. And that bruising can come from a whisper of gossip a difference of opinion about the color of the carpet in the narthex, an argument at a congregational meeting about a line item in the budget, an overheard comment from another member, a decision by the leadership, a disagreement over a minor point of theology, and a wide variety of other things. Today, we are not only good at giving offense, we are also very gifted at taking offense. And yet, only when we are willing to empty ourselves of our pride and our self-righteousness and our ego and giving up insisting on having it the way we want to have it, can the Holy Spirit find room to take up residence among us. To recover the power of the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, we must be a people who are deeply in love with Jesus Christ, deeply in love with one another, deeply in love with bringing the gospel, the good news to a world that is lost without it. It's like the spokes on a bicycle wheel. At the center is the hub. And from the hub, all the spokes begin to extend to the outer rim. Picture Christ as the center of that hub. Imagine Christians as the, as the spokes. The closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to one another. 
And the reverse is also true. The closer we get to one another, the closer we get to Jesus Christ. Mother Teresa once said, the biggest disease today is not leprosy. It's not tuberculosis. It is rather the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, deserted by everyone else. The greatest evil in our society is our lack of love and charity. The terrible indifference we have toward one another's neighbor. Being of one accord. Being of one accord was the central issue on Jesus' mind in his last recorded prayer. He understood unity was absolutely essential for the survival of his church, of his family, of his people, and for their power of his witness into the world. Jesus said, I pray for those who believe in me, that all of them may be one, that all of them may be one. Jesus said in the 23rd verse of that 17th chapter of John, May they all be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you, Father, sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. To recover the power of Pentecost, we must be in one accord. Are we bruised? Yeah, we often are. Are we still the body of Christ? Absolutely. See, being the body of Christ is not something that happens automatically. It takes hard work. It takes a constant vigilance. It takes persistent prayer. But when we're united, Jesus' prayer for unity in John 15 is not in vain. And the Spirit empowers our witness. Second, they gathered together. Acts 2, that very first verse reads, they were all together in one place. The early church discovered the power of coming together, of being together, of staying, of remaining together when the circumstances were challenging. Hebrews 10.25, a passage we looked at a few weeks ago, reads, do not neglect meeting together. It was a word for the early church It's a word for the 21st century church as well. Here is the promise of corporate worship. Jesus said it in Matthew 18. Whenever two or three of you come together in my name, I'll be present there with you. Guaranteed. So there is power in our coming together. There is power in corporate worship, in being and acknowledging God's presence that is not available from any other source When believers are together in Christ, the singing is enthusiastic, the music is inspiring, the praying is intense, and the message is empowered by the scripture. Truth is, we may not know everybody else's name in the gathering, but we do know the name that is above all names, and we love one another based on his name, not on our name. We come together. And God's spirit goes to work. And we get a taste of the Pentecost spirit. And we know, because we've tasted it, it's something special. And it's something amazing. If we're going to recover the power of Pentecost, we need to place a high value on gathering together as believers. 
And today, it seems especially easy to neglect meeting together. You know, it's raining outside. It's a holiday weekend. We have multiple options. We have many opportunities. There's all kinds of reasons. It's hot outside. It's too cold outside. It's a holiday. Whatever the reason might be, we think of many. Today, church attendance is at a historic low. Only about 80% of those who are actively attending worship before COVID have, have still returned. Researchers now define a regular attender as one who shows up twice a month. We've combined, we've dropped worship services because no one comes. Prayer services and prayer meetings only draw a handful of people. And we wonder why the church no longer has any power in North America. Maybe you've heard about the fellow trying to decide whether he should go to the lake on Sunday or he should go to church. He says, I prayed about it. I tossed a coin to see if the Lord wanted me to go to the lake or go to church. Heads church, tails the lake. I had to toss the coin eight times before it came up tails. In our have it my way culture, People tend to think worship is just about me. And I can come and I can go and I can take and I can leave it. Worship, worship should be designed to meet our needs and our preferences and our expectations, we think. Because if we don't like it, there are plenty of opportunities to go other places or do other things. We also think it's a personal decision that we get to make. We ignore the impact that our, our absence has on others in the group we call community and the body of Christ. We either aren't aware of it or we don't care. We proclaim to be the one body of Christ, but we're scattered everywhere. As the New Testament church came together as a community, Scripture says they were all, they were all there in one place. And the mighty power of God's Spirit was in their midst. We recover the power of the Holy Spirit when we come together to worship, when we come together to work. Third, they were praying together constantly. The 14th verse of that first chapter, Luke writes, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They prayed for the coming of Christ's Spirit. And in praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were simply being obedient and they were modeling what their rabbi, what their master, what their teacher, what Jesus had said for them to do. Jesus said, how much more will your Father in heaven give to the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? Jesus also promised, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised but stay together until you have been clothed with the power from on high. And so they all prayed together. When Jesus left them and ascended to heaven, they went into a, into a panic. Their leader, their rabbi, their teacher was gone. They feared the reprisal of those who had killed their master. And so they gathered in this upper room. They went inside, they closed and locked the door, and they prayed wasn't just the leaders. 
It wasn't just those with the gift of intercession. It wasn't just those who really, really liked to pray. The scripture says they were all there praying, and they prayed with expectancy. They prayed. They knew God would hear their prayer. They knew God would answer their prayer. They knew God would send the promised Holy Spirit if they asked and prayed. So they asked. They were obedient. They prayed. When was the last time we asked for God's Spirit to come and take up residence in our heart and in our life, in our community here together, for a move of God's Spirit in and through this church, for revival in our nation? They also prayed continuously. From Ascension to Pentecost is 10 days. Continuous prayer by 120 people for 240 hours. I suspect in our society today, most people would have given up. I mean, didn't God already promise to do this? Why do we have to ask? Why is God waiting so long? It's been 10 days. Why do we have to go through all this hard work? To get what God has already said he's just going to give to us. But please understand, this was the first 24-7 prayer movement. And everyone was involved. When was the last time we prayed continuously for something the Lord had called us to pray for? And they all persevered in prayer. They didn't give up. Even after Pentecost, they gathered and devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42 says, sadly in our culture today, the average typical prayer, church member prays less than five minutes a day. That can hardly, in my estimation, be defined as continuous and persevering. And as a result, as you and I look out in our world and in our nation, the church has very, very little power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, the scripture says, much power. Power, excuse me, prayer empowers the spirit who empowers the church. A praying church is a powerful church. The truth is, it's actually pretty easy to distinguish between a praying church and a non-praying church. And sadly, there are way too many examples of non-praying churches than there are of praying churches. And as a result, the North American church has very little power and influence and witness and impact. But I want you to notice the order this morning. Pray for unity, unity, being together, worship, and prayer. Those things come first. The church did those three things first, and then comes the Holy Spirit in power. Again, we need to tend to the soil. The church was praying together in one accord when suddenly they heard this great sound like the blowing of a wind, and they observed tongues of fire that were coming to rest on their foreheads. And the Spirit had come. And the Spirit had come in power. And the entire town noticed within minutes. 
There's no evidence that the disciples were even surprised that they were suddenly able to stand up and preach without a seminary education. They could stand and, and speak in multiple languages in which they had never been trained. They were able to perform miracles and they evangelized to the point that thousands came to know Jesus. There's no evidence they were surprised by any of it. Why should they be surprised? Jesus had promised it. The promise was fulfilled. They were together in unity. They were together in prayer. They did what God asked them to do, and God empowered them, and the Spirit came, just like their master and their teacher said. Today, I think our challenge is twofold. First, we need to strive to be in one accord, to worship together and work together and to pray continually. And then second, we need to expect God to show up and demonstrate his power. Do we really expect his spirit to transform our lives? Do we really expect the sick when we pray to be healed? Do we expect relationships to be reconciled? Do we expect the lost to come to Jesus? If and when we experience transformation and healing and reconciliation, when we see conversion and miracles, are we surprised by them? Do we try to rationalize them and explain them away? Do we take human credit for that? Because after all, we put in some time and some effort. Or do we simply attribute them to God and the power of his spirit and give God thanks and gratitude? It's the story of a little woodpecker tapping his beak against a tree trunk. Just as lightning hit the tree, cracked it in two. The startled woodpecker flew off, surveyed the damage, and said, Wow, I didn't know I had that much power. <laughs> we're called, and it seems all too often all we're doing is just pecking at the tree. We're just being obedient. We're just doing what God asked. We're just having prayer. We're just into the scriptures. We're just doing these little things and then all of a sudden God steps in and the lightning happens and the power of God's love and his grace strikes and we can step back and say, look what God did. This is the power of God at work in the world. If we're going to recover the power of Pentecost, not only do we have to pray that his spirit might come in power, we have to step out in obedience. We have to expect those kinds of prayers to be answered. In the Old Testament, there's a wonderful little story, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with it, about God telling the priests that they were to take the Ark of the Covenant and they were to carry it to the shore of the Jordan River, which was at flood stage and rather violent. And when they got there, God would part the sea. They would be able to walk through safely on dry ground. But when they got there, God said, oh yeah, by the way, you have to step in first, and then I will part the sea. I'm not going to part the sea, and then you get to step in. You have to step in, and then I'll part the sea. You have to believe first. You have to trust first. You have to follow first. And then, 
The power of the Holy Spirit comes after our step of faith, after our step of obedience. And with each step, we will experience the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. That's how it was with Christ's disciples. They gathered together in one accord to worship and to pray, expecting God to do what they knew only God could do. When on that first Pentecost Sunday, something shook in the building, the disciples didn't say, "Uh uh-oh, it's an earthquake. They said, God's spirit is here. It's time to change the world. God's spirit is here today too. And will come in power if we do the will of God. If we come together in unity, if we come together in prayer and worship, he will provide the power to move his church down the street into the world. He promised. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. So Father, we pray and we hold you to those promises this morning. Send your spirit. Send him in power. Send him in fullness. Send him in your grace. Send him into our hearts and into our lives. Send him into this church. Send him through this church into our nation. Father, we need revival. May it begin with us. Empower us, Lord, by your spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.